Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, March 16th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Uh, a lot of great listening over there, definitely worth your while. Um, cover, covers a broad spectrum of topics. Um, you don't have to worry about, is this really something I should listen to? Um, these podcasts have all been curated before they ever came on board, so definitely worth your while. Um, to get over there, find some great stuff to listen to. Believe me, you will run out of time to listen to all the things you want to listen to. Uh, also, I want to continue to remind you of the final link in our show notes. It is a link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and establish a Christian classic education-based school to offer an alternative for our community. Um, so go ahead and click on the link. It'll give you a much thorough, more thorough um description than what I just did. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, we're going to do like we usually do in the morning segment. We're going to do our morning reading. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to open up like we do on Thursday mornings with the fifth day morning prayer called the giver. So let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our ha excuse me to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, and the revelations of Scripture, and the gift of thy Son, and the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way. <clears throat> perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, now our morning devotion for this morning from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for March 16th. The text is from Psalm 39, 12. I am a stranger with thee. Yes, O Lord, with thee. Sorry. Yes, O Lord, with thee, but not to thee. All my natural alienation from thee, thy grace has effectually removed. 
and now in fellowship with thyself, I walk through this sinful world as a pilgrim in a foreign country. Thou art a stranger in thine own world. Man forgets thee, dishonors thee, sets up new laws and alien customs, and knows thee not. When thy dear son came unto his own, his own received him not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Never was foreigner so sorry, never was foreigner so speckled a bird among the denizens of any land as thy beloved son among his mother's brethren. It is no marvel, then, if I, who lived the life of Jesus, should be unknown and a stranger here below. Lord, I would not be a citizen where Jesus was an alien. His pierced hand was loosened, I'm sorry, has loosened the cords which once bound my soul to earth. And now I find myself a stranger in the land. My speech seems to thee to these Babylonians among whom I dwell an outlandish tongue. My manners are singular, and my actions are strange. A Tartar would be more at home in Cheapside than I could ever be in the haunts of sinners. But here is the sweetness of my lot. I am a stranger with thee. Thou art my fellow sufferer, my fellow pilgrim. Oh, what joy to wander in such blessed society! My heart burns within me by the way when thou dost speak to me, and though I be a sojourner, I am far more blessed than those who sit on thrones, and far more at home than those who dwell in their sealed houses. To me remains nor place nor time. My country is in every clime. I can be calm and free from care on any shore since God is there. While place we seek or place we shun, the soul finds happiness in none. But with a God to guide our way, tis equal joy to go or stay. All right. So, getting into our reading today, we're going to be reading Numbers 24 and 25, uh, 35 verses at the beginning of Luke 2, Psalm 59, and then Proverbs 11, verse 14. So, let's get to reading. Uh, Numbers 24. Hear the word of the Lord. And Balaam saw that it was good in the eyes of Yahweh to bless Israel. So he did not go, as at other times, to encounter omens, but he set his face towards the, toward the wilderness. <sighs> Sorry, a little tired. And Balaam lift, lifted up his eyes and saw Israel dwelling tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is uncovered, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who beholds the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes opened. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by Yahweh, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from his buckets, and his seed will be I'm sorry, and his seed will be by many waters, and his king shall be lifted up higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries, and will gnaw their bones in pieces, and shatter them with his arrows. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have blessed them repeatedly these three times. So now flee to your place. 
I said I would honor you greatly, but behold, Yahweh has held back, held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything to trespass the command of Yahweh, either good or bad, of my own accord. What Yahweh speaks, that I will speak. So now behold, I am going to my people. Come, and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the last days. Then he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is uncovered. The oracle of him who hears the words of God, and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who beholds the vision of the Almighty, falling down yet having his eyes opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel, a sh and shall crush through the fo forehead of Moab, and tear down all the sons of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly, and one from Jacob shall have dominion, and will make the survivor perish from the city. Then he looked at Amalek, and took up his discourse, and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his end shall be destruction. Then he looked at the Kenite, and took up his discourse, and said, Your habitation is enduring, and your nest is set in the cliff. Nevertheless, Cain will be consumed. How long will Asher keep, your cap keep you captive? Then he took up his discourse, and said, Woe, who can live except when God has ordained it? But ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, and they shall afflict Asher, and will afflict Eber. So they also will come to destruction." Then Balaam arose and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. All right, Numbers 25. And Israel remained at Shittim, and the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Indeed, they called the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the anger of Yahweh burned against Israel. And Yahweh said to Moses, Take all who are the heads of the people, and execute them in broad daylight before Yahweh, so that the burning anger of Yahweh may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought near to his brothers a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. So he arose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through the body. Then the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. So those who died by the plague were twenty-four thousand. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for, for him and his seed after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God, and made atonement for the sons of Israel. Now the name of the slain man of Israel, who was slain with the Midianite woman, was Zimri the son of Salu a leader of a father's household among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was struck down was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was head of the people of a father's household in Midian. 
Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Be hostile to the Midianites and strike them, for they have been hostile to you with their deceptive tricks, with which they have deceived you in the affair of Peor and in the affair of Cosby, and daughter, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was slain on the day of the plague because of Peor. All right, Luke 2, verses 1 through 35. Now it happened that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was going to be registered for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child. Now it happened that while they were there, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping, and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. And it happened that when the angels had gone away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in a hurry, and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary was treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as was told them. And when eight days were fulfilled so that they could circumcise him, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their cleansing according to the law of Moses were fulfilled, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the laws, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Master, you, you are releasing your slave in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were marveling at the things which were being said about him. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is, is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, as well that he that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right. Psalm 59. For the choir director, Al-Tasheth, of David, a Mikdem, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to put him to death. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high, away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from workers of iniquity, and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have lain in wait for my soul. Fierce men launch an attack against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Yahweh. For no guilt of mine they run and set themselves against me. Arouse yourself to meet me, and see. You, O Yahweh, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. Selah. They return at evening. They howl like a dog, and go around the city. Behold, they pour forth speech with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For they say, Who hears? But you, O Yahweh, laugh at them. You mock all the nations. Because of his strength, I will watch for you, for God is my stronghold. My God in his loving kindness will approach me. God will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. Do not slay them, or my people will forget. Make them wander about by your power, and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. On account of the sin of their mouth and the word of their lips, let them even be caught in their pride, and on account of curses and lies which they utter. Destroy them in wrath. Destroy them that they may be no more that men may know that God rules in Jacob, to the ends of the earth, Selah. They return at evening, they howl like a dog, and go around the city. They wander about for food, and growl if they are not satisfied. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength, and I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold, and a refuge in the days of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. And finally, Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is salvation. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Uh, again, thank you. Thank you for being with me this morning. Um, I hope this time partaking of the word together is edifying for you and helps buoy you up for the day. Um, it does for me. It's definitely worth worthwhile for me. Um, so I hope it is for you. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We are closing out with prayer from Valley Vision called Passion. Passion. Ho Let's pray. Holy Lord, how little repentance there is in the world and how many sins I have to repent of. I am troubled for my sin of passion, for the shame and horror of it as an evil. I purpose to give away to, to give give way to it no more, and come to thee for strength to that end. Most men give vent to anger frequently, and are overcome by it, bringing many excuses and extenuations for it, as that it occurs suddenly, and they delight not in it, that they are sorry afterwards, that godly men commit it. They thus seek peace after outbursts of passion, by entire forget by entire forgetfulness of it or by skinning over their wound. They hope for healing without peace in Christ's blood. 
Lord God, I know that my sudden anger arises when things cross me, and I desire to please only myself, not Christ. There is in all wrongs and crosses a double cross, that which crosses me and that which crosses thee. In all good things there is somewhat that pleases me, somewhat that pleases thee. My sin is that my heart is pleased or troubled, as things please or trouble me, without my having a regard to Christ. Thus I am like Eli, the subject of punishment for not rebuking sin, whereas I should humbly confess my sin and fly to the blood of Christ for pardon and peace. Give me then repentance, true brokenness, lasting contrition, for these things thou wilt not despise in spite of my sin. Amen. All right. Well, again, I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, March 16th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, a variety of great variety of subjects. Uh, you'll definitely run out of time to listen to all the things you want to listen to, so I would encourage you to get over there. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our reading of Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. We're wrapping it up. We're in the last chapter. I'm breaking it into two separate days because it's very, very long for a single day. Um, so we're going to be reading chapter 12, so that'll be tonight and tomorrow night, God willing, and then we will be done. We will be getting back into our Bible study, so which I've been working on. Notes for that. So... <clears throat> We're going to go ahead and open up to go ahead and get on into our reading this evening. We're going to go ahead and open up in prayer like we usually do with Valley of Vision. The prayer we're going to open up with this evening is called Regeneration. Regeneration. Wow, the microphone was dipping. Sorry about that. Regeneration. Let's pray. O God of the highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power, and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath, loved with my every faculty of soul, served with my every act of life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me, purchased, washed, favored, clothed, adorned me. When I was worthless, vile, soiled, polluted, I was dead in iniquities. Having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joys, no intelligence to know thee. But thy spirit has quickened me, has brought me into a new world as a new creation, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light, guide, solace, joy. Thy presence is to me a, a treasure of unending peace. No provocation can part me from thy sympathy, for thou hast drawn me with cords of love, and dost forgive me, my forgive me daily, hourly, O oh, help me then to walk worthy of thy love, of my hopes and my vocation. Keep me, for I cannot keep myself. Protect me that no evil befall me. Let me lay aside every sin admitted of many. Help me to walk by thy side, lean on thy arm, hold converse with, hold converse with thee. 
that henceforth I may be salt of the earth and a blessing to all. Amen. All right. Well, our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, um, the text, um, and that's for March 16th, the text is from, sorry, I'm having a mouse issue. The text is from Psalm 19.3, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Such was the prayer of the man after God's own heart. Did holy David need to pray thus? How needful then must such a prayer be for us babes in grace. It is as if he said, Keep me back, or I shall rush headlong over the precipice of sin. Our evil nature, like an ill-tempered horse, is apt to run away. May the grace of God put the bridle upon it and hold it in, and hold it in that it rush not into mischief. What might not the best of us do if it were not for the checks which the Lord sets upon us, both in providence and in grace? The psalmist's prayer is directed against the worst form of sin, that which is done with deliberation and willfulness, even the holiest need to be kept back from the vilest transgressions. It is a solemn thing to find the Apostle Paul warning saints against the most loathsome sins. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What? Do saints want warning against such sins as these? Yes, they do. The whitest robes, unless their purity be preserved by divine grace, will be defiled by the blackest spots. Experienced Christian, boast not in your experience. You will trip yet if you look away from him who was able to keep you from falling. Ye whose love is fervent, whose faith is constant, whose hopes are bright, say not, we shall never sin, but rather cry, lead us not into temptation. There is enough tinder in the heart of the best of men to light a fire that shall burn to the lowest hell, unless God shall quench the sparks of the, as they fall. Who would have dreamed that righteous lot could be found drunken and committing uncleanness? Hazael said, Is thy servant a dog that he should do this thing? And we are very apt to use the same self-righteous question. May infinite wisdom cure us of the madness of self-confidence. Absolutely. We are to be humble. We are called clearly to be humble. Um, And Christ gave us that example in humbling himself to be the sacrifice for our sins. All right. Uh, I need a drink of water here. All right. So. We are getting back into Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. Like I said, we're in the last chapter. We're going to split it into two different evenings. God willing, we'll be able to finish them both. Um, and so, and like I've said before, yes, Thomas Watson called it The Godly Man's Picture, but this was truly the picture of what a godly person should be, what their walk should look like, what witness they should be in the world. So I would encourage you, and, and even though we've read through it here, I would encourage you to get hold of the book. It is not very expensive, and to read through it yourself. It is definitely worthwhile. The fact is, you can't see all the formatting for it and everything um, through my reading it to you. You you really need to, to expose yourself to this book. All right, so we're going to start in chapter 12. Um, chapter tw- So um, let's get reading. Chapter 12. Mystical union between Christ and his people. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Song of Songs 2.16 
In this Song of Songs, we see the love of Christ and his church running towards each other in a full torrent. The text contains three general parts. Number one, a symbol of affection, my beloved. Number two, a term of appropriation is mine. Number three, a holy resignation, I am his. Doctrine. There is a marital union between Christ and believers. The apostle, having addressed marriage at large, winds up the whole chapter thus. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ephesians 5.32 What is nearer than the union? What is sweeter? There is a twofold union with Christ. Number one, a natural union. All men have this. Christ, having taken their nature upon himself, and not that of the angels. Hebrews 2.16 But is there... If there is no more than this natural union, it will give little comfort. Thousands are damned, even though Christ is united to their nature. Number two, a sacred union. By this we are mystically united to Christ. The union with Christ is not personal. If Christ's essence were transfused into the person of a believer, then it would follow that everything a believer does would be meritorious. But the union between Christ and a saint is one, federal, my beloved is mine. God the Father gives the bride. God the Son receives the bride. God the Holy Holy Spirit uh, ties the knot in marriage. He knits our wills to Christ and Christ's love to us. Number two, virtual. Christ unites himself to his spouse by his graces and influences. Of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. John 1.16 Christ makes himself one with the spouse by conveying his image and stamping the impress of his own holiness upon her. This union with Christ may well be called mystical. It is hard to describe the manner of it, as it is hard to show how the soul is united to the body, and how Christ is united to the soul. But though this union is spiritual, it is real. Things in nature often work insensibly. Yet really, Ecclesiastes 11.5. We do not see the hard move, I'm sorry, we do not see the hand move on the sundial, and yet it moves. The sun exhales and draws up the vapors of the earth, insensibly yet really. So the union between Christ and the soul, though it is imperceptible to the eye of reason, is still real, 1 Corinthians 6.17. Before this union with Christ, there must be a separation. The heart must be separated from all other lovers. In marriage, there is a leaving of father and mother. Forget all your own people and your father's house. Psalm 45.10 So there must be a leaving of our former sins, a breaking off of the old league with hell, before we can be united to Christ. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do with any more idols? Hosea 14.8 Or as it is in in the Hebrew, with sorrows. Those sins which were looked at before as lovers are now sorrows. There must be a divorce before there can be a union. The end of our marital union with Christ is twofold. One, cohabitation. This is the one end of marriage, to live together, that Christ may dwell in in your hearts. Ephesians 2.17 It is not enough to pay Christ a few complimentary visits in his ordinances. Hypocrites may do so, but there must be a mutual association. We We must dwell on thoughts of Christ. He that dwells in God, 1 John 3, 24. Married people should not live apart. Number two, fruitfulness. That you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. That we should bear fruit to God, Romans 7, 4. 
The spouse brings forth the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Galatians 5.22 Barrenness is a shame in Christ's spouse. This marriage union with Christ is the most noble and excellent union. Number 1. Christ unites himself to many. In other marriages, only one person is taken. But here, millions are taken. Otherwise, poor souls might cry out, Christ has married so-and-so, but what is that to me? I am left out. No, Christ marries thousands. It is a holy and chaste polygamy. Multitudes of people do not defile this marriage bed. Any poor sinner who brings a humble, believing heart may be married to Christ. Number two, there is a closer conjugation in this holy marriage than there can be in any other. In other marriages, two make one flesh. But Christ and the believer make one spirit. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 Now as the soul is more excellent than the body and allows a far greater joy, so this spiritual union brings in more astonishing delights and ravishments than any other marriage relation, relation is capable of. The joy that flows from the mystical union is unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8 Number three, this union with Christ never ceases. Other marriages are soon at an end. Death cuts asunder the marriage knot. But this marital union is eternal. Once you are Christ's spouse, you will never again be a widow. I will betroth you to me forever. Hosea 2.19 Properly speaking, our marriage with, sorry, our marriage with Christ begins where other marriages end, at death. In this life, there is only the contract. The Jews had a time set between their engagement and marriage, sometimes a year or more. In this life, there is only the engagement and contract. Promises are made on both sides, and love passes secretly between Christ and the soul. He gives some smiles of his face, and the soul sends up her sighs, and drops tears of love. But all this is only a preliminary work, and something tending to the marriage. The glorious competing and solemnizing of the nuptials is reserved for heaven. There in heaven is the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9, and the bed of glory perfumed with love, where the souls of the elect shall perpetually console themselves. Then we shall ever be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. So death merely begins our marriage with Christ. Use 1. If Christ is the head of the mystical body, Ephesians 1.22, then this doctrine beheads the Pope. That man of sin who usurps this prerogative of being the head of the church, and so he would defile Christ's marriage bed. What blasphemy this is. Two heads are monstrous. Christ is head as he is husband. There is no vice-husband, no deputy in his place. The Pope is the beast in Revelation, Revelation 13.11. To make him head of the church, what would this be if not to set the head of a beast on the body of a man? Used to, if there is such a marital union, let us test whether we are united to Christ. Number one, have we chosen Christ to set our love upon, and is this choice founded on knowledge? Number two, have we consented to the, consented to the match? It is not enough that Christ is willing to have us, but are we willing to have him? God does not force salvation on us in such a way that we shall have Christ whether we want to or not. We must consent to have him. Many approve of Christ, but they do not give their consent, and this consent must be, one, pure and genuine. We consent to have him for his own worth and excellence. You are fairer than the sons of men, Psalm 45, 2. Number two, a present consent. Now is the acceptable time, Second Corinthians 6, 2. 
If we put Christ off with delays and excuses, perhaps he will come no more. He will leave off wooing. His spirit will no longer strive. And then, poor, poor sinner, what will you do? When God's wooing ends, your woes begin. Number three, have we taken Christ? Faith is the bond of the union. Christ is joined to us by his spirit, and we are joined to him by faith. Faith ties the marriage knot. Have we surrendered ourselves to Christ? Thus the spouse in the text says, I am his, as if she had said, all I have is for the use and service of Christ. Have we made a surrender? Have we given up our name and will to Christ? When the devil solicits by a temptation, do we say, we are not our own, we are Christ's, our tongues are his, we must not defile them with oaths, our bodies are his temple, we must not pollute them with sin. If it is so, it is a sign that the Holy Spirit has worked this blessed union between Christ and us. Use 3. If there is this mystical union, then from this we may draw many inferences. Number 1. See the dignity of all true believers. They are joined in marriage with Christ. There is not only assimilation, but union. They are not only like Christ, but one with Christ. All the saints have this honor. When a king marries a beggar, by virtue of the union, she is ennobled and made of royal blood. Just as wicked men are united to the prince of darkness, and he conveys hell upon them as their inheritance, so the godly are divinely united to Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19.16 By virtue of this sacred union, the saints are dignified above the angels. Christ is the Lord of the angels, but not their husband. Number two, see how happily all the saints are married. They are united to Christ, who is the best husband, the chief among ten thousand. Song of Songs 5.10 Christ is a husband who cannot be paralleled. Number one, for tender care. Number two, for ardent affection. So number one, for tender care. The spouse cannot be as considerate of her own soul and credit as Christ is considerate of her. He cares for you. 1 Peter 5.7 Christ debates with himself, consulting and projecting how to carry on the work of our salvation. He transacts all our affairs. He attends to our business as his own. Indeed, he himself is concerned in it. He brings fresh supplies to his spouse. If she wanders out of the way, he guides her. If she stumbles, he holds her by the hand. If she falls, he raises her. If she is dull, he quickens her by his spirit. If she is headstrong, headstrong, he draws her with the cords of love. If she is sad, he comforts her with promises. Number two, for ardent affection. There is no husband like Christ for love. The Lord says to the people, I have loved you. And they say, in what way have you loved us? Malachi 1, 2. But we cannot say to Christ, in what way have you loved us? Christ has given real demonstrations of his love to his spouse. He has sent her his word, which is a love letter, and he has given her his spirit, which is a love token. Christ loves more than any other husband. Christ puts a richer robe on his bride, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 In this robe, God looks on us as if we had not sinned. This robe is as truly ours to justify us as it is Christ to bestow on us. This robe not only covers, but adorns. Having on this robe, we are reputed righteous, not only as righteous as angels, but as righteous as Christ, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Christ gives his bride not only his golden garments, but his image. He loves her into his own likeness. 
A husband may have a dear affection for his wife, but he, can, but he cannot stamp his own image on her. If she is deformed, he may give her a veil to hide it, but he cannot put his beauty on her. But Christ imparts the beauty of holiness, Psalm 29, 2, to his spouse. Your beauty was perfect though my splendor, through my splendor which I had bestowed on you, Ezekiel 16, 14. When Christ marries a soul, he makes it beautiful. You are altogether beautiful, my love, Song of Songs 4, 7. Christ never thinks he has loved his spouse enough until he can see his own face in her. Christ discharges those debts which no other husband can. Our sins are the worst debts we owe. If all the angels were to gather up a purse, they could not pay one of these debts. But Christ frees us from these. He is both a husband and a surety. He says to justice what Paul said concerning Onesimus. If he owes you anything, put it on my account. I will repay it. Philemon 1.18 Christ has suffered more for his spouse than any husband ever did. For a wife, ever did for a wife. He suffered poverty and ignominy. He who crowned the heavens with stars was himself crowned with thorns. He was called a companion of sinners, so that we might be made companions of angels. He had no regard for his life. He leaped into the sea of his father's wrath to save his spouse from drowning. Christ's love does not end with his life. He loves his spouse forever. I will betroth you to me forever. Hosea 2.19 Well may the apostle call it a love which surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3.19 See how rich believers are? They have merit number three. See how rich believers are? They have married into the crown of heaven. And by virtue of the marital union, all Christ's riches go to believers. Communion is founded in union. Christ communicates his graces. John 1.16 As long as Christ has it, believers shall not want. Psalm 23.1 And he communicates his privileges, justification, glorification. He conveys a kingdom upon his spouse as her inheritance. Hebrews 12.28 This is a key to the apostle's riddle. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. 2 Corinthians 6.10 By virtue of the marriage union, the saints have an interest in all Christ's riches. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Like I said, we read about halfway through chapter 12, and we'll pick back up here with number four, see how fearful a sin it is to abuse the saints. We'll pick up with that, God willing, tomorrow evening. Uh, I hope this time together has been, been good for you, has been edifying for you, and I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I hope you have a good evening, and I hope to see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out with our fourth, fifth day evening prayer called Protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, Thou art our Preserver, Governor, Savior, and Coming Judge. Quieten our souls to call upon Thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us a spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to Thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye, and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may, ha may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our temper tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joys of faith, do the work of faith, 
hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful night, and I hope to see you in the morning. Have a good one. God bless. Thank you.